I was being kinder to other people than I was to myself, and I was beating myself up over stupid things. And then I realized, you know what, it's not about perfection. And I remember somebody asked, what would you tell your younger self? And that's it. What this is, is a journey. It's a journey, and I don't know I don't know what the final destination is going to be, but I'm going to enjoy the journey along the road, and, and I'm going to love myself along the way, flaws and all. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. So we have a very special episode today. My friend and colleague, the lovely Paula Ferris, joins us. She just launched a new podcast of her own. You should all definitely check it out. It's called Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. And she takes a look at how people lean on faith and spirituality to guide them through the best and worst of times. She has phenomenal guests. She is a great booker, like Luke Bryan and Lady Antebellum's Hillary Scott. Our very own Robin Roberts joins her. There's a huge group of people who are on this show with Paula, and they're really talking about things they've never opened up before. So I strongly encourage you to check it out. But today, Paula and I are talking about her life story. She started out in the Midwest, moved from behind the camera to in front of it. She had to overcome some pretty big insecurities, and we talk about how she ended up here at ABC as an anchor for Good Morning America Weekend and the co-host of The View. Also, that very difficult decision she made recently to step down, how she figured out what was best for her along the way, for her family, for her children, and how she learned to be kinder to herself. Paula Ferris, welcome to No Limits. Rebecca Jarvis, I've been waiting for this moment to happen. I've been waiting all my life. My whole life. Me too. Oh my word. Twins. Can we hold hands right now? Too bad this isn't video. We are. We'll we'll put a picture on Instagram. Paula Ferris, dear friend, an anchor correspondent here at ABC News. Everyone who's listening knows that. And you have this awesome new podcast that just came out. I'm very excited. Tell us more. Well, you know, we've known each other for a very long time. And you know that my faith has always been so important to me. It's guided me through everything. And... I just had the idea. Actually, it was Dan Harris, my co-anchor from GMA Weekend, no longer my co-anchor. Who also um, has a fabulous podcast as also well. Also has a fa- We're doing a lot of podcasts. I know. Plugging Get right that now. ABC plug in. But he's actually the one that suggested that I do a faith podcast. And that's really, that's the genesis of the idea. And it's called Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. Good Ding. call. And <laughs> what we'll be talking about It's a chance to talk to influencers or people that have the ear of a community about their their faith, how their faith has guided them through life's ups and downs, how it's navigated them through triumph and tragedy. I think for me, like my faith, I know that it has it helped me through a really hard time in my marriage when I almost got divorced. It's, you know, helped me through miscarriages. It's it's literally it's been the foundation and the glue that's held my marriage together and held me together. So I think there are just some really interesting personal stories that we can get into when you start talking about someone's faith. And there's not, you look around the landscape, there's not a mainstream media platform for people to come and talk specifically about their faith. Whether I know that you were raised in the Jewish faith, Mm -hmm. I'd love to have you on sometime. Oh, fabulous. But I want to talk to people of diverse faiths about their particular faith. I, as much as I love what I do here, I'm so Can I just say the podcast is probably what I'm most excited about? 
working on? It's great. I think it gives you an opportunity to have more in-depth conversations and to really go into people's story and to look beyond just what's happening in the headlines. Completely. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about with your story growing up in Michigan and ending up as a journalist, which I understand is not what you thought as a kid you might do with your life. No, I People ask me, did you, you know, because I know David Muir knew what he was going to do. Like the moment he came out of his mother's womb, he knew he wanted to be an evening anchor. He knew he wanted to go into television. I never really wanted to. Really? Was it, did you actively not want to? Or was it just something that never crossed your mind? I feel like people had the dream for me before I had the dream for myself. Huh. My high school teacher, Mr. Barsoon. He was my drama teacher and history as well. But he's the one that first mentioned that I should pursue broadcasting. In every play, every high school production, he would cast me as the narrator, which pissed me <laughs> off, let mind you. I'm like, listen, I have acting chops, okay? But he cast me as the narrator. He said he liked my inflection, how I told a story. And really, I think that's what we're, we are. We are storytellers. Yeah. And so it was him that really kind of birthed the idea. And he said, you should pursue broadcasting in college. And I said, OK. Did you believe <laughs> it? I, I, I said, Was sure. it kind of like, oh, I trust you as a teacher. You I, see this yes. in me. OK, that's well, what I'll do. Did I you do. have any other thoughts at the time of other jobs you wanted to pursue? Um, you know, I, I, I've always been a very nurturing I'm a caregiver. I thought I would be a great nurse, but I don't like blood. And I honestly have like a visceral reaction when I see blood, like a physiological reaction where I think I might pass out. So I scratched that one off the list. I don't know. I was that like I I didn't know what I wanted to do. Everything sounded great for a short period of time because of my ADD. But I decided to pursue broadcasting. I get to college, though, and I'm not a very secure human being. I uh, just always felt inadequate at everything I did in life. And so I decided that I was going to stay behind the camera, not in front of the camera. And so I, um, my emphasis was on production. So I was shooting and I was editing and I was producing. And I worked behind the scenes at the Atlanta Olympics in 96. And I worked for Georgia Sports uh, or the Georgia Games, the Georgia State Games. I worked for Fox Sports. We produced all of the um, home basketball games at our college too. And I was the hero cam. So I was- What does the hero cam mean? The hero cam means- Whoever scores, you get the ISO of them right after they right after they score, which is how I met my husband, Holler. Um, so he was the hero. John took a lot of shots. My husband, John Kruger. That's actually how my husband and I met because we had to produce all of the basketball games at Cedarville University where we went, the home basketball games, and then they would later be aired on cable in the Dayton area. So – Anyway, that's the love story. But so, how I, did you did you just get a number of shots of him, and then finally, what happened? What 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 like sealed the uh, sealed let's the go deal? on the first date? Oh, uh, we had a we had a mutual friend, Steve Garcia, and I said this was I was a senior in college at this time. It was fall. It was so it was the first semester, and I was just really annoyed with most of the guys in my class. It was, Cedarville <laughs> was a, a small liberal arts Christian school, about four thousand students. You, you just knew everybody. And so I just said, I just want to go out and have fun. I, I don't really want any commitment. I'm getting ready to graduate. And so I asked my friend Steve Garcia, I said, could you like facilitate? I think John's really cute. And I just I think you can honestly de- deduce a lot about somebody by how they handle themselves on the for John. It was the basketball court I under think, pressure, under pressure in an athletic environment. And I just thought he was like so cool under pressure. And of course, you know, he has just natural basketball acumen. Um, but so he fixed us up and 
it was casual at first, and I had to go do an internship at CNN Sports Illustrated in Atlanta, and then I graduated a little early. So it was long distance for a very for our entire our entire uh, dating relationship was long distance. Honestly, wow. until we got married about four years later. Mm-hmm. Four years of long distance. Mm-hmm. We could like do a deep dive into that, but I want to come around to the idea of you're in school, you're behind the camera, you you feel like you have this natural inclination towards it. How did you get your first job and was it was it on camera? Did you totally no, switch? No, I graduated with a degree in broadcast communications. My emphasis was production. So it was behind the scenes. And, you know, granted, along the way, my professors in college were continually encouraging me. You need to really be in front of the camera. Every opportunity you've had, you've had great poise and, and you're comfortable. But I just didn't. Again, other people had to see that dream for me before I saw it for myself. And a lot of that was rooted in my own feelings of inadequacy. And I think I'm going to need therapy after this, actually. Just <laughs> talking what are about you talking it. about? This is therapy, <laughs> I know, Paula. It really is. So you didn't feel like you could be in front of the camera. Did you not want did you not want the critique of being in front of the camera? Did you feel like it wasn't it wasn't what you wanted? Or was there a part of you that was like, oh, I would love to do this, but I'm just not right for this? A mixture of both. And when you feel inadequate, it's it's for me, I'm a perfectionist. If I can't, if I can't knock it out of the ballpark, I don't even want to try. And so it's just knowing that you're subjecting yourself to that criticism and whether or not you're capable of handling that criticism and also believing that you can do it in the first place. I wasn't, I'm not sure I really truly felt that I could do it to begin with. So needless to say, you know, I'm working behind the scenes. I graduate. You know, I remember the first year uh, after graduation, I was just floundering. I was I had three jobs at one point, one of which was working at Arby's. Okay, so I I have good fries. They have really good roast beef, by the way. (laughs) Um, I was working in video production, making like twelve grand a year, and I was also cleaning the apartment complex where I where I lived. I got seventy five dollars to clean out each apartment when people would move out, and I was also working at Arby's. I had a ton of student loans. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I was trying to pay off my student loans. And um, I get married a couple – how many years after college? I should Three years after college, John and I get married. So I'm kind of just floundering in these production jobs behind the scenes, like enjoying it but not really feeling like I'm walking in my calling. Like you know when something's off, right? So I decide to get into radio. I was selling radio at Sunny 95 in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember distinctly when when 9/11 happened, I remember exactly where I was and that moment that I that that feeling. I mean, I think everyone remembers if you're alive what that moment was for mm-hmm. you. But for me, that was the moment that I realized that I need to do this. I need to take a risk. I need to walk into my calling even though I don't know if I can do it, but I felt like I was called. I felt like is that that moment I knew that I had to that dream that everyone else had for me, I finally had it for myself because they were speaking life into me and encouraging me. And so I quit my job in radio sales. I was making great money. I was 25 years old and I think I was making probably 60 grand. This is yeah, that's almost great. 20 years ago, just dating myself. So I quit my job. I didn't have anything else to fall back on, but I said, I need to do this. And my husband was completely on board. So I was submitting my resume to all the stations in Dayton, Ohio. Usually, if you're getting your start in the business, you have to be willing to go anywhere across the country. Right. I didn't have that luxury because I was I was newly married, and my husband loved his job. He was coaching basketball at Central State University, and I didn't want to uproot him for something for a risk. Honestly, I was mm-hmm. I was stepping out, um, stepping out of my comfort zone. 
So quit quit my job. I was substitute teaching to pay the bills in the meantime. I like how much of a hustler you are, Paula. Listen, my parents, I, we had we had no money. I just if I wanted it, I you're going to make it. it work. Exactly. I, I I was always going to make it work, and I get a call from one or uh, from one TV station, and, and it was the K. The NBC and Fox affiliate WKEF and WRGT. The news director Ian Rubin brought me in for an interview. Now, granted, this was not to be a reporter. This was just to get my foot in the door. This was to be a PA. I was make you applied he, for whatever was available. Whatever was, did you this, go through the website or did you just contact the station and ask them if you could send them something? No, I just contacted the station and I said I'm going to drop this off. I dropped off a resume. And um, he called me in for a, to interview me for a production assistant, a PA, a entry level position to make seven dollars an hour, coming from a salary where I was making fifty six to grand a year, and I took it. And I felt like that was part of my path. And I just I, I knew if I got my foot in the door, I'd be able to to kick that door down. Yeah. And so I remember in that initial interview, I said I. I really down the road I want I want to start reporting. And he laughed at me and said that's never going to happen here. And I w- didn't anticipate it to happen there, but I just wanted to plant the seed with him. But given what you had been thinking about previously, how did that hit you? Did you believe him or did you no. think uh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about? No, it was I've I've always been my mantra, my mindset has always been, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. If you say I can't do it, I'm just going to allow that to encourage me to do it. Yeah. I'm going to use, that's going to be the impetus. That's my fuel. That will be definitely my fuel. So um, unbeknownst to him, because I knew how to shoot and edit and produce, I could do a little like what we call one man banding in, in the business where you have to like schlep all the gear and shoot your own stand-ups. I borrowed the equipment from the guys in the sports department from Ryan Brandt and Don Brown. And I shot my own stand-ups. I shot my own interviews. I edited my own tape, and I handed it back to him. And I said, here, this is, I just want to get some feedback. You know, what do you think? What can I work on? Do you think I have a shot at this? And he said, not bad. He said, make me another tape, and I'll think about putting you on the air. And I was kind of blown away. I didn't think that. How awesome. I know. That was so great. I'm in the midst of making that next tape, and I still remember I was sitting in the newsroom and he walked up to me and kind of tapped me on the shoulder. And he's like, I'm going to put you on the air. And I think it was in May. And so, but like the juxtaposition. So I finally start reporting and anchoring. But I was working primarily in sports. I did a little bit of news. But I would literally go from anchoring sports or reporting one show and then running teleprompter the next show. So I was still like kind of in my PA. High low. Yes. Yeah, that that whole circ- that whole space right there, still making seven eight dollars an hour, whatever minimum wage was back then. That's what I was making. So, listen, I'm I will always be grateful to Ian Rubin. Um, he gave me a shot, and I guess the rest is history. So, I have so much respect for that, Paula. Something that I, I think often gets lost. So, so much of the time when people are moving up in their careers, I think they forget the teleprompter part of it. Like, for example, oh, yeah. Ian Rubin. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Ian, but here's my guess. If you thought you were too good for teleprompter when you were on air, mm-hmm. he'd be done with you entirely. Completely. And and I think that too often that sort of gets lost somewhere in it where you get this promotion, which isn't official in any way, but mm-hmm. you get this new opportunity and then you think, well, all the other stuff is just like behind me. I'm sort of over it. You really have to keep up with that other stuff while you're taking on all of the new opportunity in order to gain the goodwill of the organization behind you. It keeps you grounded, that's for sure. And I think that's why I've always had a 
a really good rapport with producers and people behind the scenes because that's where I got my start. And that's yeah. that's kind of what I, I actually am probably more comfortable even to this day behind the scenes. Um, no. You know, no, it is. It, it's, it's always a little uncomfortable for me. To, to be on camera. There's a little, but I think that's just the natural anxiety. I'm going to think about that the next time I watch you on Good Morning America. You would never, ever, ever know that, Paula. It's just a little bit of your natural anxiety, maybe your own feelings of insecurity that play into that as well, which no matter like what success you achieve, you still struggle with that deep mm-hmm. down. Well, this job is, uh, I mean, if you weren't insecure prior to coming into this job, I think that there's plenty of opportunity for you to become insecure for so many reasons. I mean, most of us, most people can sit at a desk and they do their job, but the people who have any input into what they're doing are their boss and maybe a few other colleagues. Mm -hmm. In this job, now, it's not just your boss and a few of your colleagues, it's anybody who's watching and then even those who aren't watching who happen to decide to weigh in on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or wherever it is that they want to share those opinions. How do you manage all of that? Here's the thing. It's such a tough balance because you want to respect the viewers and their opinions because ultimately you're nothing if they're not watching, right? But you don't want to give them too much to the point where you feel like like for me I can't open myself myself up to that scrutiny and there's no there's really no policing this it's just keyboard courage it's a digital lynch mob and and as much as you tell yourself that and and I don't know about you but I can go through I can have feedback and 99% of the feedback will be positive and 1% will be negative. And of course, I'm going to focus I think on the negative. Yes, for whatever reason. I'm a very positive person, but I just know like you just it's it's I think our world would honestly be a better place without social media. Yeah, I have this debate all the time because I see the upside of it. I love that it's a way that we can communicate with mm-hmm. people. I love that it's a way, for example, that people can learn about no limits and that we sure. can share the incredible work that female entrepreneurs are doing in their communities and use that as a way uh as as a way to demystify some of this path. But at the same time, there is so much to the downside of it, the nastiness and even not even going into like the rabbit hole that you can fall down into on social media where you're taking yourself out of real life and the real interactions that you're having. You know, I I, I try really hard on weekends to not even use Instagram anymore because I want to be present with the people in my life who For I'm sure. enjoying my time with. And the irony that, you know, you see so many people trying to capture the moment, but they're not in their moment yeah. too. And it happens all the time. I catch myself or I'll, I'll see, you know, I remember, I distinctly remember I was, I took the kids out to dinner and there was a father and his son and they were um, having dinner together, just a little hamburger joint. The dad was on his phone the whole time. And I, I've done that before, but I thought what a moment he's missing with his son who is a teenager. You know, I'm sure he's, he would want to go back and live that moment again. You know, his son was trying to get his attention and he was just blowing him off. What was he doing? Probably scrolling through Instagram, hitting like. And it's those moments that it takes you out of. And I just, we're missing out on, on the social interaction and the communication and just, just being part of one of those lives in that active daily, the, the communication, basic communication skills, I think, are, are, you know, they're dying. Because of social media, yet it's supposed to keep us connected. I know. I'm it, old school, though. I still have a Hotmail account. So if that tells you anything <laughs> about like where I am in terms of technology. You have a Hotmail account? Yes, I do. And I'm proud of it. Wow, Paula. I, I don't know. You, I will give you my Hotmail account 
after the show. Okay, great. I'm mostly a Gmail girl, but I'll accept that. (laughs) Okay, so you have your first on-air job opportunity, which is sort of this hybrid role where you still have to live up to your producer duties. Mm -hmm. At what point do you decide, I'm ready to make the switch? It was, I had been there a year, approximately a year, and... It was a great training ground and a great opportunity, but I was ready to move on. I was tired of like of juggling, you know, too many balls and holding too many hats. So I, I had, of course, because my husband was really happy at his job at Central State University, which is in the Dayton, Ohio area. I didn't have there weren't a whole lot of places I could go. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Scranton, and I'm so glad that that fell through because if it was on my timing, I would have accepted the job. But I had gone for an interview. And they said, we want you, we want you. But things got, for whatever reason, were delayed in paperwork and HR. Michael Scott would have been your boss. Yeah, probably. Would have been exactly. great. I know, actually. Think about the path. A totally different path. No, But if I, it, the timing that we want it isn't, we want a certain thing and we want it to happen now. If it would have happened, I would have been in Scranton instead of an opportunity that literally fell in my lap to work in Cincinnati, which is just down the road. And John could stay in his job. Huge market. Huge market. So, you know, I always say God's timing is perfect. And it is because in that situation, I would have ended up in Scranton. John probably would have stayed coaching. He wanted to stay. And so we would have been living a long distance marriage. But this ended up working out perfectly. I worked in Cincinnati. It was just 45 minutes down the road. John stayed in his job. And I was there for three years as I was the weekend sports anchor. What was Cincinnati. were you always into sports? I loved. I've I've always had a lot of male energy. If you haven't detected, <laughs> um, but I love sports growing up. My dad and I that was our our thing, our jam. Every Saturday we watched Michigan games. But I grew up right around the corner from Michigan, um, Ann Arbor, and so my dad went to Michigan. My whole family went to Michigan. I remember going to Michigan Stadium for the very first time. Jim Harbaugh, who played there, was my first imaginary boyfriend. So I've. I just I've how many always, imaginary boyfriends have just, you had, Paula? Just Jim Harbaugh. Okay, I've always been into sports. I've always enjoyed it, and um, I was never like athlete of the year. I played sports and I was athletic, but um, and I think I just kind of naturally gravitated towards covering sports because I had such a passion for it, and I still do. So, so. what led to the switch from I'm going to keep covering sports to I want to be a generalist and cover everything? Okay, we have one more market. So I was in Cincinnati for three years, moved to Chicago, and I was the, for all intents and purposes, the main sports anchor there. It was the first time I think a female had been a number one in a top three market. So that Way was to great. go. Thank you. What years were that? What, what years was that? 2005 to 2011. I was in okay. Chicago. And so I, I had just left Chicago at that time. Otherwise, I would have watched you. We would have been thick as thieves back then. Could you imagine? I would, that would be, I would love to go back and just play that out. Oh, I miss Chicago. I really. Chicago's a great place. It still feels like, I mean, I'm a Midwest kid. So via Michigan, Ohio and Chicago. So, and my husband's from Indiana. So we are Midwest kids through and through. So I get an opportunity to go to the NBC affiliate in Chicago. I worked there for six years, have two kids, love life. I honestly thought we would never leave. I never wanted to leave. I had opportunities in our in our industry, Rebecca, I'm sure I don't know if people know, but we work on contracts. So we might sign a two or three year contract when our contract's up, we start negotiating or we look elsewhere. So I remember my contract had been up at one point and I my agent wanted me to go to um, New York City for an interview. And I, I interviewed with CBS with Sean McManus and David Friedman. And I literally went kicking and screaming because my 
my motto about New York was, I like to visit, but I love to leave. I would never work in New York City. I would never live in New York City. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to move there. I just, I literally had no desire. I was content. And you could probably say a little complacent, but I was content. I was in my comfort zone. I didn't want to take a risk. I wanted to stay right in my little bubble. And you had a good life. I had a great life. Yeah. And so... I, I literally did everything I could to sabotage that particular interview. My agent is the one that really, he's like, you have to at least go on it. So I'm like, fine. Um, but I remember at the end of, end of the interview with Sean McManus, who was the president of CBS News at the time, said, do you want to work here? And I said, do you have a job in Chicago for me? Sure. So, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to stay in Chicago. I thought I would literally die there. What did he say to that? Um, I think he was a little baffled by the whole interview process. To, to <laughs> Why is this woman here? Granted, and I'm not going to try to play the emotional or hormonal card, but I had just had a baby. I just had my second child probably like two months earlier. And so I was still on maternity leave when I when I went on this interview. And so that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. So anyway, fast forward, you know, we had been there almost six years and I was negotiating um, my contract and I told my boss, I said, I have two little kids. I love sports. I, I love sports. But, you know, I was still working a lot of nights and I was working Sunday to Thursday. Um, and when you come home, you're still, you know, part of the job and the job that I love was, you know, you come home and you're done, but then you watch the games because you have to know what you're talking about the next day. So it just, um, I said, you know, I want, I, I still want to be able to cover sports, but I'd like to do it in a morning show capacity. I'd like to, I'd like to work for the morning show. I mean, because if you work in Chicago, you have to know sports. It's, it's, it's it's like ingrained in the culture there. So I said, I'd like to work. I'd like to anchor one of our morning shows or do something, move into the news division, but still cover sports when you need me to. And I still remember Frank Whitaker, he, he looked at me. He's like, you know, people will only see you as a sports anchor here. And so I knew in that moment because I, I knew I needed a change mm-hmm. for my family and just professionally. I you have to break out of that mold. You do. And so I think that was the best thing that happened to me because it got me out of my comfort zone. I knew at that moment that I needed a change. And then Barbara Fadita, who is the head of talent at ABC, she used to be at CBS. And she's the one that had recruited me to go on that interview, which I sabotaged at CBS. She has since moved on to ABC and just, you know, serendipitously has reached out to me on Twitter like She reached out to you on Twitter? Yes. And she's like, hey, how are you doing? And Did she direct message you? I don't know how to direct message. So I'm pretty sh- I don't know how it all happened. Okay, so she contacts you publicly on Twitter as you have I another think it role. May, no, it ha- it may it probably was. I think it was on DM. Okay. I don't really know. I listen. I I'm, love this by the way. Shout out to Barbara cuz Barbara called me uh-huh. at my office at my when I started at CNBC and she was at CBS at the time recruiting both you and I probably around Hilarious. the same time. She was calling me at my office at CNBC and I was so scared cuz I was new to the contract, the whole contract thing and this was my mm-hmm. first TV job and and in our contracts it says non-compete. You're not supposed to talk to any outsiders except for like you have like 30 days in your contract where you're allowed technically to mm-hmm. talk to any outside mm-hmm. people and I was so nervous because she was leaving voice messages for me on my CNBC phone number and I was like courageous could listen to this I could get in so much trouble does she have any idea what could happen you, to me you're totally sweating it I can see. I was very scared at that time I can see you I really I was just like a ball of nerves so then she's reaching out to you on Twitter she reaches Way to out go, to Barbara. Me. I'm pretty sure. Yes, it was. I remember the message was, have you changed your mind about New York? And I said, no, but I'm open. 
So I needless to say, I just felt like the doors were shutting in Chicago for whatever reason. I talked to some of the I, I literally did everything I could to stay in Chicago. I auditioned for a talk show, which I didn't which I didn't make the cut. I talked to a couple of the competitors who had been interested in me previously, but at that moment they didn't have anything and I'm like, Okay, God. So I I talked to Barbara and there I just had a good feeling about it. It was crazy. I didn't necessarily want to go, but I felt in my gut that it was the right thing. Both John and I, to, I felt like we were supposed to move to New York. So we moved away from everything we knew that was comfortable, our family and our friends and our home that we'd known for 36 years of our lives and our two little kids. And we moved out to New York. And we didn't know a soul. Wow. So you get here. And your job is, was it overnights right from day one? Day one, I was the overnight anchor. To be honest, I did not even know that ABC had an overnight show <laughs> until they broached the, <laughs> broached the subject with me. They're like, oh, World News. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. World yeah. News. That sounds good. Wait, what? <laughs> what? What, show, what time? <laughs> when do I have to go to work? So, yeah, I was nocturnal for a year. I worked the overnight show, the overnight shift. So I would go in around 9 o'clock and then I'd get home around yeah. Oh, yes, I should specify. 9 p.m. And I got home around 9 a.m. working that whole time. And How was that with the kids? It actually wasn't terrible because they're going to bed. And then when they're waking up, you're, I was getting home so I could still walk them to school. And then I would sleep when they were in school. So it actually worked out quite nicely. But the body isn't supposed to work. Nocturnally, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's a tough shift, and it I, is a people really that have shift. done it forever. They have my full respect. I couldn't do it for more than a year. I started to get depressed because I wasn't ever seeing the sun, and I was also working weird. Like, I'd have to sleep in like shifts because I had mm. to go on a shoot. They're like, "Oh, can you go on the shoot at eleven? So I'd go home and like sleep for three hours, and you know, wake up and go to the shoot and go back home and sleep. So you, I had to like, I had to schedule my sleep. Yeah. Which was tough. Yeah. This is, I think that's one of the things, it's hard for anyone, you, you probably watching television recognize the various hours that people are on and think, huh, well, I guess mm -hmm. they're not sleeping like I'm in my pajamas sure. watching this. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those professions where, and I, I grew up, my mom's a journalist, not a TV journalist, but a print journalist. And I sort of grew up seeing that where, you know, there would be a snow day. My mom would go into work. No one else is working. Why are you working, mom? Well, journalism is, you know, snow days are actually part of the coverage sure. of journalists. So, it's like a, it's a hospital. We don't shut down. Right. Hospitals don't shut down and neither do news organizations. Did you at any point think... I'm going to die? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that. Definitely. I'm sorry to say it, but they're actually... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like kind of joking, but kind of not. Like there are moments... I've definitely had moments in this profession where it's totally mind over matter in terms oh, yeah, of the schedule completely. and the routine and being able to fulfill it. But did you have any moments where you said, is this really worth it? Oh, oh yes. I have those moments all the time. I think, But I think that's a, a way to keep yourself in check, too. And um, But yeah, I, and I had those, those conversations. And I think after a year, I talked to Barbara and I was like, I'm just not, I wasn't feeling great. And... It was hard for me to sustain with two, the two little kids in the shifts and sleeping in shifts. And they were doing construction on the apartment building that we worked in. We were on the 14th floor and they were they had literally were ripping the roof off. So during the day when I was trying to sleep, there was a jackhammer on top of my head. So I, I felt honestly 
like I was going crazy a little teeny bit when you're not when you don't sleep and you, you are living in a state of sleep deprivation. I mean, sleep is just it's the impetus for like every physical ailment that you, my body literally felt like it was starting to break down. And then I started to get a little depressed, which um, I think it was just for the lack of vitamin D and sun and sunlight because I was sleeping when the sun was out. And then I would get up when, you know, the sun, approximately the time the sun was going down. I just wasn't, I wasn't getting enough sun. Yeah. Well, it's also just, you don't have a real life. You're not with, you don't spend time with people. Right. In the way that if you're working a day shift, Mm -hmm. you spend more time interacting with people. And I think we take for granted that normalcy. We really do. At least I did for a very long time until I had to work upside down. You started working weekends after that. Yes, GMA weekend anchor, mm-hmm. and then you made it to the View. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Balancing being on a table at the View, but then also being a journalist at ABC News. Okay, stay tuned for more Paula after a quick word from our sponsor. Do you spend the night tossing and turning? Are you dealing with a stiff neck and back for months? If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses a new material developed by an actual rocket scientist. The Purple Mattress feels very unique because it's both firm and soft, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. Try your Purple Mattress with a 100-night risk-free trial, and if you're not fully satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Your Purple Mattress is backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping, and returns. You're going to love Purple, and right now our listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. Just text NO LIMITS to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text NO LIMITS to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. What was that like balancing being on a table at The View, but then also being a journalist at ABC News? I I say The View was an opportunity to discover muscles I didn't know exist and then flex those muscles. My first year, I was on the panel with with Whoopi and Joy and... Um, Michelle Collins and Raven Simone, and it was a it was an uncomfortable position because, and I'm not trying to make any excuses, um, but it was uncomfortable because I was in the back of my mind, I'm not supposed to give my political opinion, but I want to make sure that we're fair and and what voices we're representing at the table. It was always a I felt like I was walking uh, on a tightrope all the time because I didn't want to say something that was going to ruin my reputation as a as a journalist, I always want to maintain my objectivity. That's that's most important to me at the end of the day. So, you know, at the end of the year, um, I did it full time for a year along with working weekends. So I would go through. That's a seven day week. Yeah, I would go literally 21 days straight. Happened all the time. Three weeks straight without a day off. And I was so exhausted after the end of the year, just emotionally, physically. And I said, listen, something's going to give. And I love Whoopi, Joy, those ladies are legends. I mean, to be able to work next to them and be part of such an iconic show, I was always grateful for that. And to this day, I feel indebted. And I sometimes have those pinch me moments where I can't believe I was part of a show like that for a very long time. So at the end of that year, I just said something's going to give. I can't, you know, because they didn't want me to step away from the weekend gig of anchoring Good Morning America. So 
I, you know, the compromise was to work on Fridays or, you know, pick up a couple of other days in addition. So then I started just pinch hitting the next two seasons, which was fine. It was great. And, you know, it was more balanced. Now that I've stepped away from The View and Good Morning America weekends, I'm Monday through Friday. And that's, I feel like I have a sense of normalcy just to, and I will never take that for granted again. But I needed, at, at the end of the day, what was most important, I needed to see my husband most importantly. And my kids, I didn't feel like I was missing out on my kids, but my husband works his butt off during the week. And I've worked weekends the better part of 17 years. So um, if we wanted to spend a day together, one of us had to take a vacation day. And that's how it's been pretty much our whole marriage. So last summer, I started thinking about it. And I was like, I, I've got to, I've got to get off of this shift for the sake of my marriage. So that was, you know, that and some, you know, other things. That was really the impetus for asking them for this assignment to go Monday through Friday, which I'm very grateful for. Has there been a moment along the way where you felt like I've made it? No. I think if you're a high-achieving individual, you never – I say I'm content, but I'm not complacent. And I don't ever want to be complacent. I think there's a difference between the two. I think if you say that you've made it, then you stop striving and you stop learning – and you stop achieving, and you get complacent. And I always want to be in that space. I always want to be in that mindset where I'm learning, and I'm challenging myself, and I'm pushing myself. And so I don't think I'll ever allow myself to say, I've made it. Yes, I'm content, so content, and so grateful, but I'm not complacent. If someone told little Paula growing up in Michigan that she would be on Good Morning America every day, Mm -hmm. what would she have thought? I don't know. But weirdly, my nickname growing up was Paula 20 Questions. (laughs) So You were the why kid? I would, why? Like, just shut up and stop asking questions. I was the kid that I just have always had that innate curiosity. I don't know what I would say, but I'd probably ask you why. (laughs) How? What? what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> What's been the toughest lesson for you along the way? Um, the toughest lesson, gosh, there have been so many, but to I, I think just forgiving yourself and failing doesn't mean you're a failure. You're going to stumble and you're going to fall. Have you ever felt that there was a moment where you failed and failed publicly in this job? Oh, all the time. Completely. I've feel like I, there are a lot of moments that I felt like there were moments when I failed at The View. I had moments where I went through a season of anxiety and I lost, I was losing my breath on the air and I was having a little bit of panic um, and it was asthma. But uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, but that's the thing. Like, I think for so long I held myself up to a certain standard of perfection and I just didn't embrace the journey. And it's not about perfection. That's, where was the change? Where you realized my little aha Oprah moment. Yeah. Um, Probably just, I think, a couple of years ago. And I just started embracing where I was and who I was, where I was. And I, I think I just learned to give myself the same amount of grace that I was giving other people. I was being kinder to other people than I was to myself. And I was beating myself up over stupid things. And then I realized, you know what, it's not about perfection. And I remember somebody asked, what would you tell your younger self? And that's it. And it just, 
give yourself as much grace as you give other people. Be kind to yourself. And the goal is not perfection. The goal is what this is, is a journey. It's a journey. And I don't know. I don't know what the final destination is going to be, but I'm going to enjoy the journey along the road. And and I'm going to love myself along the way, flaws and all. I think there is beauty in vulnerability and there's beauty in failing and stepping out of your comfort zone. And it, it makes you a stronger, better person. It's not about perfection. It's not about your highlight reel. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 36 now and I feel like for me, some of that change has happened in the last handful of years mm-hmm. where I think a lot of it comes down to, for for me personally, the idea of life being about more than just the job. And I spent so much of my life very deliberately pursuing these various jobs. And I and I love my job. And I work really hard, as you know, and you do too, you at work this job. so incredibly hard. But I also have come to recognize the, you know, <laughs> all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy. Well, like... <laughs> Makes I, Becky a dull yeah, girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Becky's a little dull. No, I. But you're I, not. You're not dull. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I just but wanted. I also, <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to personalize it for you. So, um, hashtag No Limits Podcast. You're not dull. <laughs> um, no, but I, I do think that. I was very much in this path, in this mindset of like, keep going, keep taking advantage of everything and every opportunity. And the focus was so intense that I was, I realized I was missing out on things that were happening around me that I really care about. Mm-hmm. And I think that in some ways, that realization for me has allowed me, and I'm not, I have to pull myself in and out of it, but it's allowed me to think about the job in a way that for me is a healthier way of approaching Completely. it. You're not, it's for so many of us in this business, and let's just be honest, there's a lot of ego that goes into it, but a lot of us are defined by what we do. Right. And I remember thinking if I walked away from what I did, if I walked away from my job, would I still know who I was? And I think in that moment, I had to keep asking myself that question. Would I truly know who I was if I walked away from what I did? That's and, a really big question. Yeah, and I I feel like I'm able to say that now, yes. I've never wanted my career to dictate my family decisions, but I think you get caught up in the moment. You get caught up in the competitive nature of this business, and it's just natural that it's going to happen, but I've had to literally try to ground myself. I think that's why I'm grateful I have family that literally they couldn't care less what I do. Yes. They don't know. Wait, good morning, America. Wait, wait, what time are you on again? So <laughs> that's, it, that's my family I know, too. But it keeps me grounded and I'm yeah. so glad my friends couldn't care less what I do. Yeah. And that's what that's who I want to surround myself. I don't want to surround myself with people that enable bad behavior, that enable this narcissistic um, vicious cycle that we can that we can find ourselves in the midst of. I want people to keep me level headed. That's the good Midwest people that we have in our lives, right? Give Absolutely. it up for the people in the Midwest. But, Great friends and family. Yes, friends and family. But, and you have okay. So uh, let's we, you've you've mentioned now because in the span of you moving to New York, you had two kids, and then mm-hmm. once you're here working Surprise! for ABC, you now have three kids. Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, I had a third, and that was the other thing. You know, I waited a while. I, I didn't want to ha- get pregnant right when I moved here because of the job. And um, Landon is now four years old, and he is a terror. <laughs> um, love the kid, 
and he is definitely the exclamation point on the family. And but I I had a, a miscarriage last year. I've always wanted four kids, and that that was I think uh, for me it wasn't an aha moment, but it was just a moment of okay. Just this is just a reset. Let's just make sure our prior priorities are in check because I think just getting to that point where I felt that I wasn't going to allow my fear to dictate my next steps of oh if I have another baby what's that going to mean for my job mm-hmm. I, for me it was getting to that getting to the point of of allowing myself that moment getting pregnant and knowing that I wasn't going to live in that bubble of fear and allow my career to dictate my family decisions was big for me, even though we did end up losing the baby, which it's okay. I well, mean, it, well, I remember, I've had but several, at the time, it was, I mean, it was look, tough. It, it, it was and, really tough. And I really, I really respect you. And I think something, again, I know we've said a handful of times here, people don't realize or, or that kind of thing. But when you're behind the scenes and you see what one of your friends and colleagues is going through, mm-hmm. But they have to put that brave face on and go out there and do their job every day. And 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 by the way, there, I think the world is more open to to vulnerability in a way today really? that it wasn't even when we both started in this industry. But at the same time, sometimes you're not ready. You mm-hmm. know, like you're not going to share that part of your journey no. at that moment because you need to heal. Completely. In your own way. Yeah, you have to take the time to grieve. For me, I remember I had the miscarriage. I had to take a pill. And then I, unbeknownst to me, I had a terrible infection. I had to have an emergency surgery on Friday, a Friday night. I got home about 11, 11.30, and I went to Good Morning America the next morning. <clears throat> I got up three, four hours later and went to work. And I think for me, that was just my way of not dealing with it, taking my mind off of it. And I did that for a long time. And I think it took a while for me for the pain to catch up to me. And until I could deal with it, um, I wasn't really able to heal from it. I'm totally fine now. I mean, I've had several miscarriages. It's very normal. But it doesn't it doesn't diminish the pain. And, you know, the expectancy of you know, adding to the family. I still am not sure if we're done, but I'm 43. I'm a little older than you, and I'm not sure that my body can handle it at this point. But yeah, I think you just, you have to make sure that that you are in a good place and that you have healed. And it took me, it took me a while, but for a long time, I just put my head down and, and went back to work. I mean, literally I had emergency surgery and was back at work in four and a half hours. Unbelievable. A little stupid. I've, but you chose well, stupid. that. I chose that. Mm-hmm, I did. So, I mean, if I – and that's another that's another moment where I probably could have been a little kinder to myself. But I think it was also my way of just not thinking about it. And sometimes that's that can be my tendency to ignore – in order to ignore it, just busy myself in something mm-hmm. else. Stay busy, busy, busy. So, And eventually yeah. – I just want to clarify. So eventually – you you sort of did allow yourself to think oh, about it and yes, completely. To, to work through it. I worked through it, and then I I publicly I mentioned something on uh, at the View about it, and and like I said, when it was when I knew that I think it was part part that was part of the impetus for me to to walk away from the weekend show and from the View. And I remember, you know, the the summer beforehand, this the summer before I got pregnant, I had initially broached it to one of the executives, and I said. I'm just I'm thinking about stepping away from Good Morning America, and I was told, you're crazy to give up an anchor seat. 
And then I got pregnant. I had a miscarriage. And then I, 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 I talked a little bit about this. I ended up getting um, hurt at work. So I went through something at my head when I was doing a live shot. And so it was I had a terrible. concussion. And I was not, literally knocked out for three weeks. And then the day that I get cleared to go back to work, I get into a head and car crash. And then a couple months later, I get influenza and then I get pneumonia. That's within eight months of one another. And I think when, when that executive told me I was crazy to walk away from this job, I allowed that fear to dictate my next steps. I was scared. Oh, she's right. If I walk away, I mean, who gives up an anchor seat at Good Morning America? Nobody does. You know, it's, it's a coveted seat. People would kill for it. Why would I ever consider giving that up? Why? And then I go through this season of hell and I realize, you know, why wouldn't I? I need to get my life back. I need to get my priorities back. And I think for me, it was just God saying, slow down and reassess. And honestly, I had to take that risk and face my fear and say, I am going to step down from this coveted job. And I am going to give up my chair at The View. But I'm doing, I know I'm doing it for the right reasons. And there it is. I mean, it's, it's taking a risk, but I have found it to be so rewarding um, in the next chapter, this next season, and that has been really reassuring. But it was scary. It was really scary to walk away from it. And you know, as Martin Luther King says, faith is taking that step when you can't see the staircase. I didn't know what the staircase looked like when I was walking away from it, but I knew it was the right thing to do. You know, why would I walk away? Well, why wouldn't I? I needed to get my priorities straight and I needed to slow down and I needed to, I needed a reset with my family. And, and I feel like things are in balance now. I'm working hard, but I'm playing hard. And that's what really life's about. It's keeping it all in balance and keeping it in perspective. Love that. Mm -hmm. What is the worst advice you've received along the way? Um, so my first sports director told me that I wouldn't make it unless I showed my, for lack of a better term, my breasts. Can I say that on I, the podcast? I, I think you can. I'm okay. disgusted that he said that to yes. you. But, um, no, some of the, the bad advice, though, along the way, obviously I didn't take that advice to heart. Um, but, gosh, I you know, when we were considering moving to New York from Chicago, our family, our friends, our pastors were like, you're crazy to do that. Why would you do that? Life's so comfortable. Stay in your comfort zone. Why? Why would you move to a place where you don't know anybody? Was that was that a difficult choice for you, given that all Completely. of these people who you love and trust are telling you not to do it? They're telling us not to do it. Or if they are telling us to do it, they're like, come right back in a year. What do you think would have happened had you followed their lead? Then I would be living in my comfort zone. I would be living in a You'd really, be wondering. I would constantly be wondering. I don't like to live in regret, but I also – like I, I'm the type of person I like to go for it. And if I fail, at least I have – I know that I went for it. I yeah. don't have to live with that regret the rest of my life. But at the same time, you want to balance that with – you know, I, I like to say I, I like to live um, with the foresight I like to live as my 70-year-old self, okay? So let's say I'm I'm struggling with something. I'm like, how would 70-year-old Paula on her front porch sipping her lemonade spiked with vodka, how would she handle this situation? And so a lot of times when I don't know what to do, I'll go to – I'll fast forward. And I'll have the, the foreknowledge. I want to have the foreknowledge of what – 
that version of myself would do? How would I make that decision present day for myself? So, but yeah, I think just, I can't tell you how empowering and emboldening it is to step out of your comfort zone and take your risks. And don't worry about failure. You learn so much about yourself. And for me, I've gained so much confidence and I'm so much more sure of myself by stepping out of that comfort zone, even though it's scary and it hurts. You got to do it. I love that. Paula, uh, love talking with you. Remind us again about your podcast. It is called Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris. You can find it on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an iPhone, there's a little purple icon that says podcasts. Search podcasts on your iPhone and it will take you there. Thank you for promoting my show for me. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime. It is my absolute pleasure. Love chatting with you, Paula. Thank you for joining us. It's been so great. Thank you. Okay, it is the end of the episode, which means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our amazing listeners who's building something of her own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is a former bankruptcy attorney turned entrepreneur, Chelsea Hershorn. She is the CEO of Frida Baby. So I think every friend I know who's a parent is going to understand this. All of you who are parents out there are going to understand this. Frida Baby is a company that helps parents get through the unfiltered realities of parenthood creating and selling innovative products. The most famous is the Nose Frida Snot Suckers. Yes, the Nose Frida Snot Suckers. People swear by these, you know, to help remove the mucus from your baby's nose. Chelsea herself is a mom of three, and she wanted to create a brand that helped parents in ways that she herself also needed. She started out with three employees. She now has 42 and an 8,000 square foot warehouse. How awesome. Here she is to tell you more. Hi, I'm Chelsea Hirshhorn. I'm the CEO of Frida Baby. We are basically the best friend no one has. We make products for parents that help them navigate the less than sexy, unfilterable moments of parenthood so that they can get back to the Instagram-worthy moments much quicker and easier. We make products that prepare parents for the 3 a.m. elbow deep in a dirty diaper scenario so that they can feel a little more empowered to get through the trickier side of those first few weeks and back to the fun side quicker. Chelsea, I know your product. I've seen it on so many registries, and I look forward to employing it someday myself. I wish you and Frida Baby continued success. Remember, you can head on over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more from Chelsea about how she built her business. Don't forget, if you or someone you know should be featured here as the No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, or if you have some career questions, you can email me at nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. I love it when you write. I know how busy you all are, so thank you. I also want to say a huge thanks to those of you who've been leaving us reviews, like this one from Bryn underscore nine underscore one underscore three three two, who writes, This is by far my favorite podcast. I've been looking for a podcast with this type of content, a very diverse group of guests and smart questions, very well produced. Bravo. Thank you so much, Bryn, for the great review. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate all of you who leave us those five-star reviews. If you do one, we don't appreciate it. And finally, a shout out to our hardworking team here that helps make this happen every week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor, Brittany Martinez, research assistant, Annie Osakwe, who she has left us. 
but she researched a bunch of the upcoming episodes, so we still thank her. And the ABC radio team, David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. 